Hey friends, Emma here. I've been out sick over the last few days, so good friends of the podcast, Nathan Wagnon and Hannah Stobbs, jumped in. That said, throughout the next few days, you'll get to hear snippets of their conversations and I'll add some of my own commentary, so the episodes may be a bit longer. As we start the Book of Song of Solomon, I wanted to give you a heads up that the content is, in nature, very adult. In fact, during the days of the early church, young boys were not allowed to read Song of Solomon until they had thoroughly studied, or sometimes even memorized, all of the Pentateuch, all of the historical books, all of the prophets except Ezekiel, and all of the poetical books. Once they'd done that, then they could study Song of Solomon. So that said, if you're listening with children or minors around or nearby, we'd recommend you listen by yourself first before listening with kids. Before we jump into Nathan and Hannah's conversation, here are three things I want us to remember. Number one, some scholars believe Solomon wrote this book. Others don't. No matter what you think in regard to authorship, we are certain the book belongs in our Bibles. Number two, this book is full of poetry with a lot of springtime imagery depicting a romantic relationship between a man and a woman. And number three, in the ancient Near East, there was a lot of sexual dysfunction. People operated outside of God's design. But this book celebrates God's design, and the book provides a clear standard of God's design for sexual love. Let's jump in. All right now, if we're honest, reading the Bible consistently can be a challenge, but it's never too late to start, and we're in this together. This is the Join the Journey podcast. Thanks for joining. Hannah Stobbs here with the Watermark Institute, and I'm back in the podcast studio with Nathan Wagnon. What up? What up, Hannah? Nathan, as we even get into this text, we talked about it a little bit. If you listened to the podcast yesterday, kind of just an overview of where we're at in Song of Solomon, that this passage of this um, book, rather, is important, although it can be a little different, not your normal— It is definitely different. You're not reading the book of Ephesians, (laughs) you know? You're not reading Genesis. So when we get to a book like this, okay, what is going on? Who who are the characters at play? Where is the text taking us? Who are we talking about? Who is this she and others? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, the the actual woman is never identified. Okay. I mean, the text does say later that she is potentially a a, from Shunem or Shulam. It depends on how you right, right, where you right. place that. Okay. But then there's also a textual note. We'll get to that later. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the woman is never identified. We do know that uh, from the text that she's young mm-hmm. and seems to have just an innocence about her. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that in chapter one, she is, I mean, she's like, hey. Obsessed with him. Uh, totally yep. obsessed. Yep. Where she is like, hey, I— well, the, the king, I hope the king brings me in his chambers. Yeah, literally. Like, <laughs> <laughs> very direct. Let's, let's go run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she is not, she's not bashful. She's cre- she's creating this environment that's very inviting for uh, a man, for any man, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's really where there's a lot of back and forth um, in all of this. And there seems to be a sense of, hey, we're setting the stage in all of this. So let's talk about this a little bit more. Chapter one is setting the stage. And right off the bat, we are in it. We are in the story. Verse two reads, and the woman is speaking, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. And really, this setup leaves us with two questions. Number one, is this sexual desire wrong? 
And number two, why in the world is this woman so excited? Why is she so excited? So let's start with the first question. Is sexual desire wrong? Absolutely not. Flipping back to the very beginning, Genesis 2, I'm reading in the NLT, starting in verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So if you eat of that fruit, there's going to be a consequence. Life's going to be different. It's going to be hard. There's going to be dysfunction. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's not good. Things things weren't great. So God made woman as man and woman were designed by nature to go together. Look at verse 19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, he's pumped. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That's God's good design, that marriage should be shared between one man and one woman, and that sex, this act of being physically one, sex is to take place within marriage. Verse 25, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. It's a good thing. But we now know Because of the fall, because sin did enter the picture, there's all sorts of relational and sexual dysfunction in our world, and that dysfunction is not good. However, as we navigate the brokenness of our world, we have to remember that God's design for sex is good and that we are made as sexual beings. It isn't wrong to desire sex. It's natural. What's wrong is to to desire or lust, or to partake in sex in any way that is outside of God's design. So question one, is sexual desire innately wrong? No, not at all. Question two, why is this girl so excited about this guy? Look at verse three. Your anointing oils are fragrant. That means he doesn't smell bad. Think about it. The Middle East, it's really hot. The climate's warm. People would get sweaty. But this guy, he wore some sort of cologne, and he didn't smell bad. Your anointing oils are fragrant, she'd say. Your name is oil poured out. What does that mean? Your name is oil poured out. Ben Stewart, in a sermon he gave at his church in Washington, D.C., points out that your sense of smell is most tied to memory. So if something smells good, you move toward it. If it smells disgusting, you pull back. But now switching gears a little bit, if I say Hitler or Stalin, what do you think of? But then if I say Martin Luther King, what do you think of? There's a reaction. These guys have reputations. When this guy's name is brought up, how do people react? Simply put, he's got a great reputation. They move toward him. When you read name here at the beginning of the book, think character. 
His character is oil poured out. It's good. It draws people in. When he's not around, people speak highly of him. We already know she's attracted to him because she wants to kiss him. But part of that attraction is his character. It's great. So we read, therefore, virgins love you. The girls are into him. He's a ladies' man, if you will. And we see that in verse 4, the girl's friends support her relationship. They're like, you're right. He is a good guy. We think you and him together is a great idea. And it's so funny, this book, Song of Solomon. It's You get the woman, the man, and the woman's friends. So right here in chapter one, we see part of why the girl is so into the guy is because he has great personal hygiene and he has great character. And the girl's friends, her community, her close friends, the virgins, agree. Then the woman goes on to say in verse seven, tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where do you work? Where you make it lie down at noon, where are you throughout the day? For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? She's, here's what's happening, okay? She's so attracted to him that she just wants to be near him. She wants to know where he is. She wants to be around him, but she doesn't want to be like creepy in the corner, desperate spying on him. She wants to run into him more and more, kind of casually. It's it's kind of like when kids stayed in high school or middle school and they're tardy to class because they went completely out of their way to walk down a hallway in which they'd run into their crush. She wants to run into him. She's willing to go out of her way to run into them, into him, but there's also some interesting standards here. She wants him to pursue her. She's like, hey, I'm willing. If I'm really honest, yes, I want to know where this guy is. But I'm not going to be desperate. She said, why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Why should I be like? She's saying, hey, I want to go after you, but I'm not going to be desperate. Why should I be like the pick-me girls who are so trying desperately hard to be noticed? She's sure of her value. She knows she's worth being pursued. Notice back in verse 2, she didn't say, I'm going to kiss him. Or let me go kiss him. She said, let him kiss me. But again, back to our question. Why does this appropriately confident woman want this guy to pursue her? As Ben Stewart points out in that same sermon, which we'll link in the episode description, this guy is kind. He has a lot of really nice things to say. And he uses his words to build her up, not to tear her down. Nine times, actually, here in this text, in this book, in Hebrew, he calls her rayati, and it means companion or friend. Verse 9, he says to her, these kind words, here's an example, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, he's not calling her a horse. He's saying, hey, uh, horses are a combination, in Ben's words, of strength and grace and dignity and power. There's something majestic about well-cared-for horses, and Pharaoh would have had the best horses of all. They'd even put jewelry on them. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewel. He's complimenting her with his words. He is kind. He tells her she's the best. Ben goes on to point out how he starts by complimenting her face, the central hub for communication and expression of emotion. When a romantic song comes on today, it's all about other body parts and celebrating those. But this guy starts, or this guy sets an example, rather, that starts with her face. He doesn't just rush toward her body. He charms her. He pursues her as rayati, as companion and friend. 
Yes, the girl clearly finds this guy physically attractive, but he's also marked by great character, he is kind with his words, and he honors women. So how does this woman respond? Verse 12. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. And the idea here, this is this is really when Song of Solomon starts to turn a little vulgar, uh, is that she's heating up. She is emotionally and physically having a reaction toward him. She's drawn to him. She's into him. And there's a whole lot more in there. You keep reading, and it's very clear, abundantly clear, she wants to have sex with him. But they're not yet married. And, and we'll get to that later in the book. There's more we could go into. I'd highly recommend you check out the Ben Stewart sermon. We'll actually uh, probably be linking one sermon per episode as he's done a great series walking through this book in much more length. Uh, but in conclusion, question one, is sexual desire innately wrong? No. God designed us as sexual beings. Question two, why is this girl so excited about this guy? Yes, he's physically attractive, but he's also marked by great character. He is kind with his words, and he honors women. That's all we've got time for today. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe, because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.